0: Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashazda. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers Oh, my gosh. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh, and boy, do we have an amazing guest today, my friend, Victoria LaBombe. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here with all these pink unicorns.
0: Oh Well, you're a pink unicorn, so we're here to make it happen. Okay. Um, Guys, for those of you guys new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things, those who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world, And Victoria is doing both of those right now. So if you don't mind, Victoria, do you mind if I jump into a little bit of of your bio, all the amazing things you're up to, and then we'll go right into the show? I'd love it. Oh, let's do it. Guys, uh, so pleased to have Victoria. So I always like to give a little bit of background. So I have a friend that I met. You guys all know I like to live on Clubhouse and play around on that app. But a friend of mine, Derek Coburn, Coburn, who I met on the app, was like, man, you have to get my friend Victoria on the show. And he's seen a bunch of the shows and sees all the stuff we we do and and so i said oh cool you know so i start doing some some background search so i'm like wow i'm like yeah i want to meet this person (laughs) and so victoria's an author and her new book "Risk forward which is available right now which is crushing it one of the top books right now one of the top bestsellers on amazon and hopefully on a bunch of the other lists uh competing with is it the simon Sinek's uh, start with why is that what i heard correctly
1: Uh, Yeah, it's up there with Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and Simon's Start
0: With Why. Wow, that's amazing. I've met Simon before, and that's an amazing book, so congratulations on that. But Victoria has background in the arts, performing, directing, producing, writing, and performing her own one-woman shows, films, TV, commercials, comedy on Broadway. And she's conceived and produced of Muppet Guys, talked and trusted consultants, and CEOs, top teams such as Starbucks, Microsoft, PayPal. Man, and you're the uh, the founder of the of Risk Forward and Rock the Room uh, 2.com. Is that what it is? So sorry if I messed that up.
1: That's okay. But, uh, it's a Risk Forward is one brand that I have, and Rock the Room is the other brand that I have. And oh they're both God. about helping people express their ideas in life, in meetings, on stage, on camera, in clubhouse, and all across platforms.
0: Amazing. Well, we're so proud to have you here on the Greatness Machine, and I'm I'm really like the book launch is a big deal. Congratulations on that. That's that's an enormous feat to be at the top of those lists. I launched my book in September last year, and I I jokingly said I said it's the hardest and most not I said writing the book was hard, but launching the book was way harder. So <laughs> you're in the middle of that, and uh, we're here to support you. And congratulations, nonetheless. But oh welcome gosh, to thanks. Co. Thanks. So, I'd love to dive in. I mean, you're doing this amazing book, but before I always like to get to where we're at today, I'd love to get get some background, like really some deep background on how did you get to this point where you wrote this book, but what, what got you started on, on this journey?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I began as an artist, really. I'd gone to college out west at Stanford, and I came out, and all my friends were having jobs in, in business and theater, not, not theater, that's me, business and, and, and medicine and law. And I was in theater, you know, and I was doing performances and writing and directing and comedy and characters. And they all sort of thought, well, what are you up to there? But little by little, each element grew and they began to come together. Uh, there's a sad part to the story, which is I witnessed 9-11. And after that, like all of us, we were asking, you know, how how can I help and what's next? And that led me to take a turn in my career. I had an opportunity to come and take my background of performance, comedy characters movement and bring that to speakers to help them with their storytelling, being more engaging on stage, on camera. And that led to working with executives. So then the Starbucks, the PayPal, the Microsoft, I worked with C-suite executives there, people on Oprah's stage, on TED Talks. And it grew. I started working with CEOs on their communication strategy, entrepreneurs around the world. And all along the way, I noticed this discrepancy. I'm sure you've seen this too, where everyone's always talking about goals and planning and clarity. And yet I knew from my own life and I knew from some of these leaders that I coached, that they didn't always have clarity and so i wanted to talk about how we can handle those moments between clarity when we're not sure and how that's really an opportunity and this is how the book was born
0: so um that back, backing up so so you're in new york now is that correct or are you still that's in new right. york yep what, what, are you in manhattan or are you i manhattan?
1: am on the upper west side
0: I love. I love. I I went to New York for the first time in 2007, and I said, and I was like, "This is where I'm going to die." That's a weird statement, but I was like, "Oh, I'm going to die here." I'm like, "This would be such a cool place to live when you're like retired and you could do anything you want." But yeah, Yeah. like, I I, the vibration in New York resonates with my heart, so I love that city. Um, That's very cool.
1: Well, I love that you said that. I just have to pause here because so few people say that. The most common statement I hear, and people always say it thinking they're the only one to say it, is this. Oh, I love to visit New York, but I could never live there. To which I always want to say, yeah, no, well, I get it. You don't live here, but yeah. it's so offensive, you know, I wouldn't go to someone's city and go, yeah, I, I, I could never live here. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I'm the opposite. I was like, man, I can't believe I didn't move here. <laughs> <laughs> My sister was living in Williamsburg. My friend best friend lived in Lower East Side. So I got the next best thing as I built a business. Um, and my business partner lived in Long Island. So I would go to New York probably like, I don't know, 15, 20 times a year. Yeah. Long, now, well, now long, it's a different conversation Long Island versus Manhattan, but, but, um, but I, but I would always go to Manhattan and it, it my heart is New York. Like I, I felt like I was one of the people that when you go to New York and you're like, 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 I think when you watched movies growing up, especially I grew up in Southern California, where'd you grow up in Manhattan? Oh my gosh! You grew up in Manhattan. I did. Oh. I left
1: for many years, but I came back. So you know, I was born and bred right here in the wow. city. Wow! I know.
0: Oh my gosh! I know. I'm to, like, I'm. Tr- you grew up in in Manhattan, yeah. in the actual on the island of Manhattan. I
1: did. I did. And people often say, like, I didn't really realize anyone grew up here. Like, I've never met anyone who actually grew up here. And I say, what do you think all those kids are on the street? You think they're props? You think they're like actors? No, they live here.
0: What? Which part of the island did you grow up on?
1: Uh, on the East side,
0: okay, okay, cool
1: so now I'm
0: on the west, yeah, oh my gosh, okay, so I was a kid that grew up in Orange County, California, mm-hmm. and I was like, I should have grown up in Manhattan, like like I was a person that for some reason it resonated with me, but I just never ended up going until I was twenty seven and so I had these really high expectations of the city, yeah, and then I and you know how that goes, like you always have these really high expectations, and then you get there and it's kind of a letdown. It was the opposite. it exceeded I love that. my expectations. <laughs> I, and I had really, really high expectations, and, and we don't know each other that well. But like, when I generally get let down on almost everything, and so I get there, I'm like, this exceeded my expectations. I'm I'm dying here. So anyhow, I'm the opposite of those folks that that undermine the amazingness known as New York City. And to, I say to hell with them; they shouldn't. They should visit and not stay. There so. you go. <laughs> so um, so you did the opposite. You came out to California. You went to Stanford. Um, and then and then, and then, how long were you, did you do the LA thing or did you go back to New York for theater?
1: I did a little bit of LA, but never permanently. I first lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Then I spent time in Africa and Alaska, if you can believe it. What? And then I know I did a 75 day expedition in Alaska in the wilderness. Uh, two showers in seventy-five days. There.
0: Did you do Knowles or did you do like? Yes, it bound? was
1: Knowles exactly. No,
0: my sister who who went, she went to Parsons. Did Knowles before Parsons?
1: Yeah, so. it's a game changer.
0: Wow, you did Knowles, man. Yeah, I
1: That's did a amazing. semester. It was called Semester in Alaska.
0: Wow, seventy-five
1: okay. days straight. Yeah,
0: you're a maniac. Okay, so you, so you did some Knowles, and then uh, for those of you that don't know this, is it hour Bound in Knowles is basically where you live in the wilderness like straight up on a tent, like you're living on the side, but they have different ones. Some you're like kayaking in the in the water, some yeah. you're living in the mountains. Yeah. My sister did hers, I think I want to say like Pacific Northwest or something like that. Right, but anyway. Right.
1: Yeah. And the so thing go- with these programs is it's not like you're at campsites with like, you know, uh, no. an outhouse. No, you are out there in the middle of nowhere with topographic maps
0: and that's that's yeah. I've I don't so I'm I, I'm half Persian, okay. And in, and I jokingly said my dad's idea of going camping was going to Vegas. So,
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a part. It's kind of true as well. But um, yeah. yeah. So so you um, so you did that, and then and then you ended up back in New York, like to do the theater stuff. Is that kind of how that That's went? That's
1: pretty much it. Yeah. I uh, I came back. I realized that I mostly loved writing. I was a poetry major in college, and then I was interested in theater. And I pursued both.
0: Well, um, so you you end up back in New York doing theater. Was it was it TV theater, movies, all the above, some of it, all of it? Which one? Like, what? Where did you like gravitate to with the yeah, writing? I
1: tried them all. I mean, I started in an acting school, and then I realized I mostly wanted to say something of my own, as right. opposed to audition for you know Gilbert and Sullivan or whatnot. So I started writing and performing my own one-woman shows in little tiny venues and that grew. I started doing television commercials to make money. I then moved into stand-up comedy, got picked up by a big manager in Hollywood. He hip pocketed me, which is the term in Hollywood for when they keep you in their hip pocket. You're not officially signed, but they keep an eye on you and they submit you. So he put me in for Saturday Night Live and Mad TV and Toyota Comedy Festival. He was a wonderful man named David Steinberg who worked with Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. So he very was just tall. terrific and so my career really grew. And uh yeah, sex in the city, all kinds of film projects and, and it's very much a part of who I am now.
0: What do you so 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 you made the transition over to commercial business side, right? And we'll go there in a second. But I but I always like a lot of times people jump straight into, oh, tell tell me about your book and I'm like, yeah, but your book came out of something right? Yeah. It came out of this deep experience in these different areas. And you came really, you know, when I look at your work and I can't wait to get into the, to the book right now, but I'm going to go, I still want to go back to the art side of this Yeah, is you came from an art as an artist, right? You came up as an artist and came up in this world of theater and, and TV and, and all these different sex in the city. like like. and when, So when people talk about stuff like that, the average person that works a Normal commercial job—that's sexy, right? It's like, yeah, like it's way sexier for you to say that you were in, you know, Hollywood or the New York, you know, TV movie scene than to say like me, where I'm like, oh, I was in the mortgage industry. Like I used to (laughs) jokingly say, I'm like, no one cares that you're like when you say I. Actually, I would say this. I'd say when I tell people I was in the mortgage industry halfway through the word mortgage, I'd watch their eyes glaze over. Yeah, and I'm like, like no one cares, right? but it's the opposite. If you're like in TV, people are like, everyone's grows up, they glamorize it and, and it is glamorous, but yet it's a tough business. Do you mind talking a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, the glamour part is such a small percentage of it. You know, it's, it's, it's auditions. Even once you're on a set, it's waiting around and craft services table and cramped toes and a draft and you're exhausted and it's two in the morning and you know, that's film. And, you know, it's not always quite as glamorous as people make it out to be. And, you know, when I was doing television commercials, it's a little like people who do online launches. There's that kind of fake math. So in commercials, you you can make quite a bit of money on a single commercial, if it's a national network, what's called a nat net. And, you know, people would say, I made 50 grand, I made 100 grand in half a day's work. And I say, no, it's not half a day's work. It's the six months you spent auditioning that landed you that one spot. And it's like when people say on an online launch, you know, I made $2 million in 24 hours. I was like, no, you were preparing for all those months, and then half that money went to your partners and you know, refunds and Facebook ads and all the other things. So it's really recognizing what the truth of the matter is. But I loved it, you know, I loved performing, I loved auditioning and I was just happy and you know, I was single. I lived in this little hole in the wall down in the village, and that was my gig.
0: Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends, it's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now, and let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash Darius what was your what was your so when you were doing that and we're we're going to talk especially when we get into your book around this idea of like what's next and the goals to, of getting to what's next and this whole idea around goal setting when you look back at that time in your life and I and you know you it, it, when you've talked to lots of people at least and i don't think everyone's true of this But many people, you say, oh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? They go, oh, I want to be an actor an actress, right? Right. And then it's like, well, well, in their head, many of them are like, oh, I want to be Meryl Streep or I want to be, you know, Al Pacino, right? I want to be Robert De Niro. I want to be, I want to be, I want to win an Oscar. What was your goal when you look at that part of your life? Was it to be some, a big famous actor, actress? Like, what was the, what was your thought process around that?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I really had a goal around it. I mean, it was really, I just wanted to do good work. And I was focused on that. I was focused on the next show. And every time I got to that level, I was like, oh, here's the next show. And it wasn't it wasn't as if I set a target way out in front of me. There were certainly solo performers who inspired me. And I thought, wow, I want to do more of that kind of work or be in that kind of a venue. So to some degree, there was a goal, but it it, it constantly evolved. And certain goals arose simply out of the experience I was in. You know, I was exposed to something. And I said, oh, that would be cool. Uh, and as I went down certain paths, I realized, "Now this isn't for me. Like stand-up comedy really wasn't my medium.
0: Why? Why? What was it about it?
1: Well, I thought it might be because I liked being on stage alone. I liked controlling the rhythms of an audience. You know, when you're on stage alone, you can really take the audience on a journey. And you know when the twists and the turns and when to pull back. So I thought I would love it. But the rhythm of stand-up comedy is set up joke, set up joke. And the audience is expecting a few laughs a minute. And right. I'm funny, but I'm funny in a narrative comedy way. So my laughs might come after a minute of talking. Right. Then I got in a comedy club and I got up there having just crushed it at this off Broadway event. And I literally walked a few blocks over to the comedy club. I had all these cameras on me and I bombed. I was just horrible. I just didn't <laughs> have it. It was, it was bad. I still remember it. It was bad. You know,
0: uh, so bombing you know. is the worst.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. But I'm so glad I did it because that that door is closed. That door closed way back when
0: I, I probably need to do it just to get the itch out of my system. I I was at uh, and I know you're a TEDx speaker. You did TEDx at Santa Barbara, which I'm a graduate of UC Santa Barbara.
1: Wow.
0: So, yeah. So I saw that. I was like, oh, and, and I'm a TEDx curator, which. you Wow. So I did TEDx. I put on two year two TEDx events. I got it very involved in TED. I did TEDx Golden Gate Park at the Young Museum in San Francisco uh, in 2012 and 13. Um, It's an amazing organization. I saw that you did that. So how was that experience for you? Yeah, it was great.
1: You know, I speak professionally. I've been all over the world speaking and doing big events, you know, thousands of people in the audience and Speaker Hall of Fame, all of that. But I'll tell you something, that TED Talk freaked me out because it's different than a big keynote. You know, you know it's going up online, Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of gonna be representative of your belief system. And so there are some people who use a TED Talk kind of as a business card and you can see it, you can feel it. And the others are coming from a place within. Uh, So it's it's very special, you know, and to get your content down to 18 minutes or nine minutes or 12 minutes or whatever your time is. that's that's the challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny you just said said the thing around the business card. And yeah, Ted, Ted, it's ha- being having been on the side of it where I would I was the person who spent the entire a, a year building the event to then put it on, and I would get speakers that would come up and they would just start selling, and yeah. I'm like, whoa, 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 buddy, like that. The, te- the te- there's a thing called the TED Commandments, right? Like right. The, and it's like, thou shalt not sell sell from the stage. Yeah. And they're sitting there just selling, and I'm like. Uh, exit stage left. How do I rip this person off stage? Right?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And even even you know, selling in a subtle way, kind of like my client this and my client that. And when I work with, yeah. and it just it it it's, cool. it's, it's it's totally not cool.
0: Not cool because it's supposed to be a gift to the audience. Right? That's right.
1: It's it's and an idea worth spreading. Is the mantra.
0: Totally, and it is. And, and I and what made me think of this right now is that I um I went to the TED conference a couple times, and there was an open mic there, and I. I made up a story and bombed in front of like 500 people that was supposed to be a funny joke. And I'm not going to get into it because it was so bad. Okay. <laughs> I would, but but I don't want to eat away from your, I want to talk about your book. And this is just a, a funny story that's like not funny, uh, <laughs> which most bombs are. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, no, I saw that you did that. And I thought, wow, that's the, obviously you've done some really cool things. Um, do you mind talking about the Muppets a little bit? Because- sure. Happy I mean I saw the Muppet stuff and I saw that that you you happen to be close to one of the the, the gentlemen that, that was one of the founders of the Muppets, is that correct?
1: Uh, original performers, not necessarily founder, but yeah, one of the very original performers.
0: That's so cool. So yeah, talk about that because that's such a I mean, when we're talking about like going from those are pretty two wide extremes, right? Sex in the city to the Muppets. And then all the commercial work, you know, you got commercial work. And then we have actually this idea of working in, in the business world. I'd love to hear about yeah. the Muppets and then jump into the business stuff. Sure,
1: sure. Well, as a way into that, you know, I I, I do move between essentially three populations. I work with entrepreneurs. Um, I work with artists. And in that category, I'd put often authors or creatives of all kinds, performing artists, writing artists, and artists of the soul, if you will. And then I work with... Um, Executives and of course consultants and scientists. I did an event for twelve scientists at Yale. I mean, it cross. But the point I'm making here is that executives will often look at artists and be like, oh, they're artists, and artists will look at you know executives and think, oh, they're in business. And entrepreneurs will look at the corporate market and go, oh, it's corporate. And there's so much judgment among these populations. And yet, I would find I would be with you know a C-suite for the day, and then I would have dinner with someone from Hollywood at night, and I would look for these connections. And there are many, and I think it's a huge mistake that entrepreneurs make and the artists or the executives make by making this judgment. Like there's a stupid concept that entrepreneurs are, oh, I don't wear a suit, you know, corporate wears a suit. Like really, you're gonna judge people on what they wear? It's a costume, you know, it's just an outfit. And so I I was looking for how we could learn from each other. And as I spent time because of um, my life with people from the Muppets, I thought the corporate market, the entrepreneurial market could really learn from these artists and how they interact and the culture that created such legendary work under Jim Henson's leadership. Because I would hear these stories and how they would laugh and rib each other and kind of egg each other on. There was this joyous competition. And I said, I don't see this. I don't see this in small businesses. I don't see this in big businesses. And this kind of dynamic should be something we could all learn from. So I conceived and produced a documentary film called Muppet Guys Talking. And it was literally five of the original Muppet performers sitting around a room talking about Jim Henson, the culture that created this legendary work. And I had intended it to be something that, you know, leaders and entrepreneurs would look at and go, I need more of that. But you know, the Muppets, boy, that fan base is so intense. It just it went down that track and all the press went bananas like who's your favorite character instead of like what can we learn about leadership here however it's still there for anyone who wants to see it um, there's so many lessons for us
0: i so want to watch it so one so i'm i'm uh, i'm of the age where watching the muppets as a child is what we did right so my your, this is just an anecdote but my first memory in life is when I was one and a half years old watching Muppets.
1: Wow! I can
0: actually remember sitting watching the Muppets. That's like when I think back to my first memory. That's my Amazing. first memory. Isn't that cool?
1: That's totally cool.
0: Um, so what's funny is you just said something that really segues into this idea of your book, The Risk Forward. And um, so I I I'm an entrepreneur, and but I consider myself a pretty creative person and 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 a fairly artistic person and um, but I've, but I've never really expressed it too much. Like I did like improv in college and, and I like to write and stuff like that. But, but, but I was always so motivated around business and money. I just went right into business at a very young age and um, and went into entrepreneurship specifically. And so I just um, exited a company that I built to a thousand employees. It was a mortgage bank. It was the 40th largest mortgage bank in the United States. And, um, and, I totally felt lost, right? Mm. Like as lost as you could feel. Cause I was like, you know, I'm 42 years old, which is a perfect time to have a midlife crisis, in York, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And, and so I, but I'm working with this amazing performance coach. He was actually Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods mindset coach. Uh. Yeah, he's a really special guy. His name's Jeff Spencer. And Jeff, if you're listening, uh, I love you. And so uh, Jeff uh, and I were talking and what something you just said is, a, is literally an exact conversation is based on something we just said which what he he and I were talking about and it's this idea of these of, of what people put themselves in these boxes right and in business, especially it depends on the business but in most business you, you you get painted by a brush right like you don't get a much like there's no obvious financial or even strategic value you get by being the artist in a business right? Like, like, like obvious, obvious is the key word, right? Yet we celebrate people like Steve Jobs all the, and Elon Musk, who arguably are artists, right? When you yeah. think of the way they do their work. And so where we landed for myself, and I'm in this transition process. That's why I really want to get into your book because your book is like all about what I'm living, my, my life. <laughs> is living. I'm going to tell you this, um, Victoria, I my favorite part about doing this show is I swear God sending people for me to interview that I need to learn from right now, given the state of my life. So uh. I, I swear, like I I didn't know your work and I was reading it and I'm like, this is insane that we're gonna have this conversation because this is happening to me. I've done now about 125 shows in the past seven months. Wow. And I just, and I say, I I don't, sorry audience. I don't care about any of you. I selfishly get to learn from these amazing folks. So, <laughs> so I'm talking to Jeff and I said, you know, I'm the artist warrior. I'm all like like, 60% of my brain is like commercial business. How do you grow it? How do you scale it? How do you commercialize it? What's the profit margin? Blah 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 blah. And 40% of my brain's like just open creative. Like, how mm. do I create? How nice. do I build something amazing? What's the nice. story behind it? Right.
2: It.
0: And I think that that to your point though, I think that people like to put I think humans want certainty. And and when you start talking about these things that maybe are misunderstood, then they like business and artistry. Then oh, they they can't be both. They got to be one. So right. like, like what are your thoughts on some of the things I'm saying? And how did that lend lead way to the book? Because obviously you're playing these different groups. These, you're getting to play in these different worlds. How did that lead to what is now Risk Forward?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, two things there. One is just I love what you're saying because I also feel that at the highest level, business is an art. And not just in 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 the ways that we can see apparently, but but you know you know this from the financial world. I mean, the great math and financial and investment thinkers. I mean, it moves beyond science; it becomes an art. And once you have mastered that toolbox, you can kind of create your own vision and and make decisions based on that. And so, mm-hmm. uh, part of why I wrote the book is really to relieve people of this burden around clarity and goals because as I mentioned earlier as I went through my career and I started working with these top people I realized that so often you know they didn't know what was next and they figured it out as they went and I discovered so many people stop themselves because they can't see the end and we're trained in our culture you know if you don't know where you're going you'll never get there and you got to be clear and go for the goal and People misunderstand risk forward to mean, you know, leap and the net will appear or go for it. And it's it's really taking off that hyped up self-help, crazy, you know, make the most of every day, hack your hours. I'm so sick of that. I'm going to impact 100 million people by 20. And we've heard it. We've heard it. Like, what is it really for you? And how do we find our way forward without all that hype and that hip? Entrepreneur language, we're talking this language, but it happens in every culture. And I just want to have people go, I'm not sure. Let me find out what's right for me and figure it out from there. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny. Like I think that, you know, I look. You, you said something that was interesting earlier in the conversation around when I asked you the question around like, what was your goal with with acting? And you said I was just going from the next job to the next job and looking at what was interesting. Some I, I butchered what you said, but that was my version. Of, that's yeah, yeah. what my that's what my brain heard. Yeah. <laughs> but you you said you know, but when you ask people what they what they want to do. You, you do get kind of those two schools of thought. You get the, the school of thought that's like, I want to impact a billion people through blah, blah, blah. Right. And then you start to get this business speak. And my BHAG is la, la, la. Exactly. And, you know, and like, and listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with that stuff. No, no, but it's not for everyone. Yeah. It, so what if you're, you know, I, I tell people what my goal is that my goal is to not try to figure out what my next goal is right now.
1: Exactly. You're going to love my book.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's because, and everyone wants certainty, though. I said human beings love certainty. So, and especially if you have a history of doing stuff that's interesting, then people are interested in what's next, right? And, yeah. and, and I'm like, so am I. I'm interested in what's next. But I'm not going to hurt myself trying to figure it out. And, yeah. and, and I feel like there is a lot of pressure in our society to achieve, right? There is yeah. because we celebrate achievement a lot, especially in the United States we brag about the Mavericks and the, the, you know, the person that went against the grain to create something. And, but we, and, and my favorite quote around this is that, you know, uh, what is it that? Success as many fathers and failure as an orphan. Right. Oh, like we nice. talk, yeah. We don't talk about, you know, no one, everyone will tell you what stock they made money on. They don't tell you the nine they lost money.
1: on yeah.
0: Right. And that kind of goes back to this idea of, of, we talk about risk-taking like it's this amazing thing but when people fail we don't celebrate them we actually right. kind of ignore them we turn our backs on them like not everyone does this but in general and my failures i found was it was pretty lonely right i mean i had myself and maybe a business partner to lean on when it was pretty lonely yeah uh, in those moments and and i found that For the right risk, for the right rewards, risk was worth it. And for the wrong rewards, absolutely not. Like, because there's an expense that comes into play when you keep putting yourself out there and fighting for that quote unquote win so you can be the next whatever. Yeah. And the reality is, is that I think there's something to celebrate around enjoying the journey. And we all, and that's a really, that's kind of a cliche thing to say. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of the truth. Like, because once you get to that, whatever the mountaintop is, you're going to look for the next mount top, right? So how does your book play into that when we're in such a society that celebrates winning and society puts a lot of pressure, especially on achievers, that you need to like have that next big goal and set your gardens and what are your 12 goals for the quarter and what's your right. big blah, blah, blah for the la, la, la. Like yeah, how, yeah. how do you view all that?
1: Well, I love that question. I mean, I I think goals have great merit. I have goals. I think there's value to them. The challenge is when we think we're wrong, when we don't have a goal, and then we pick a goal to sound impressive, or we pick the goal of the people around us. And it's so insidious that sometimes we don't even realize it. You know, like the story I tell is when I was coaching a lot of one-on-one clients, you know, and I work with tons of entrepreneurs and almost everyone said the same thing. I want a TED Talk and a New York Times bestseller. You know, That was the thing. And it just, I thought, where is that coming from? And so it's really about creating your own original path forward. And that's what I'm so passionate about because when I work with people one-on-one or in small groups with this risk-forward theme, I take them through a series of questions. And I can't tell you how many people say, oh my God, I was going to do X, I don't want to do x it's just that everyone around me is pumping me up and saying oh that'll be so impressive and now i don't want to do it i don't want to launch again i don't want to build out my team i don't want to have x kind of business model but we get caught up into it and entrepreneurs who are famed for saying it's about freedom are some of the most stressed out people i've met you know it's just non-stop so it's really about how do we take back the reins and then realign uh, and this is this the business end of this is huge because when you realign, uh, this is not woo-woo. I mean, this is profound, high-octane outcomes. You know, I I don't come from a background of of pink unicorns, and I'm joking as I say that. You know, I I, I come from a background of you know all kinds of work with business leaders, like, and this is this is what I've learned. You know, that that we go through those periods of not knowing, and that is really the book is really about how do we move through that, and not, by the way, make a decision so quickly that we make the wrong decision. And I could talk about decision-making for a long time, but I'll, I want to just say this quickly before we go on. Two things. One is the opening line of the book. This is important, is some people in life know exactly what they want to achieve. This is a book for the rest of us. <laughs> so... And, you know, I I said that once I did an event for Coca-Cola. They did a special event with all these chief marketing officers, you know, from all these big companies around the country. And that was my opening line of my keynote. You know, I thought this is not going to go well, but I wanted to say it. And they all laughed. So we're talking CMOs, money, big companies, and they got it. So it's really about unearthing what's below. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say just before I forget... Is that this is not a book? This is um, this is an experience, and I'm going to show this to you. Anyone who's just listening, I'm flipping through the book, and I'm showing the pages. It's full color. Every page is different. Oh, so cool! Uh, some are diagrams. Some are 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 like uh, visual lists. Some are very little text. So the book is like a 90-minute experience. It's an emotional ride and people read the book in 90 minutes and then they go back again and again. Cause it's like a magic eight ball. You can read the chapters in any order and people just open it up to get to what's right for them.
0: That's so cool. I want to, um, can I buy bulk books of your book? Is oh my popular?
1: God. You're like singing my language here. I would just love that.
0: Is, is there a website that for, for any listeners that want to buy bulk or do I just go to like Amazon and do it?
1: Yeah, well we have um we're creating this book circle because so many people are getting 10 books or more. So we have something called the book circle. You go to riskforward.com slash circle, riskforward.com slash circle, and we have a bunch of bonuses just for a little while longer, depending on when you hear this. So number one, go there now, riskforward.com slash circle. But also, you know, I do keynote speeches. So some people are buying like literally thousand books for their whole organization or community. And for them, for a limited time, I'm doing a free keynote speech for which I would normally charge a lot of money.
0: Oh, wow. Because,
1: yeah. So, but, but we should talk offline. You can email us at bookteam at my name, bookteam at victorialobotum.com. Uh, but, yes, this book is awesome. It's, oh, fun. It's,
0: it's a beautiful book for listeners that aren't seeing it. You need to go look it up online. I was like, like, who's your publisher for the book, by the way?
1: The publisher is Hay House and there's a whole no. story there, but they really let me do what I want. It's yeah. full color. It, it's illustrated with this character that I have trademarked. So it's fun. It's whimsical, but it's profound.
0: Very cool. I have a couple friends that have been published by them. That's super cool. And yeah, guys, it's a beautiful book. And so, um, I'm so well, we we still have time on the show. I, that I normally, we do the plugs at the end, but man, I couldn't help myself. I'm, I'm going to buy 10 copies. Cause I'm going go to be book circle friend.
1: Thank yeah.
0: I, I'm, I'm going to be a book circle friend. So I'll, I'm going to go offline. So guys, for those of you that didn't hear that it's riskforwardcom forward slash circle. I'm going to be going there after the show and buying my 10 copies and you should do the same. Um, so, I want to ask you a question because, and I wrote a couple things down. One of the things I wrote was this idea of not knowing, right? Not like getting in there, you know, and one of the things that my coach and I have talked about is, is being uncomfortable, especially uh, people that are high achievers, right? You have this like, go, 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 go. Like my number one strength is achiever, right? So for me, it's like, What's next, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there's this like this like innate urge to go and do that, whatever yeah. that is, and fight the fight, as Ray Dalio says, struggle well, right? Yeah. So the, the 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 really really like, I I know it. I, I'm a, I'm a living proof of what's what not struggling well is struggling not well is probably <laughs> you know, my 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 descriptive would be, but um. But wanting that urge to achieve and to build and to grow and to do something cool and to win that prize and to get the trophy and all those things. So like a lot of achiever minds, that's, that's what either through ego or through family experience or through natural whatever, this is where we end up. And then you end up in these spots. And it's funny, you brought up the CMO from Coca-Cola. I have a really good friend who is one of the top CMOs in the world and, and if I, when I ask her what she would love to do, it's, she's like, wants to write a book about being a mom to five boys while being, love you know, it. like, this is one of the things that she really cares about is like, how do you, can you be a, a big professional person, but still be this amazing mom at the same time. Right. Yet she's doing stuff for top brands in the world. Right. Like, like now she owns her, she has her own ad agency now, but, wow. um, and so, you know, I always think of her with what you just said, which is this: we have these two things. What what are we doing because it's comfortable and what we know, versus what do we want to do? And sometimes you get these moments where you're in in the in between. Yes. Right. Where where maybe we get tired of what what we know. I'm a I'm the best example. I'm 20 years in the mortgage space, and I did my tar time, and then I was like, I'm out, and then I'm about a year out now, and I'm like. I'm not sure what's next. Yes, but and it's been really uncomfortable. Yeah. So how do you how do you coach people through the? What does the book say? How does someone get comfortable with that uncomfortable?
1: Yeah. Well, th- the first thing I say is to embrace that unknown. Uh, it's a bit like if you're in the fog, and I call it the fog of not knowing. And the analogy I like to share not it's not in the book, but I'll share it here, which is, you know, if you're in a field that's foggy the first thing you don't do is sprint out. You're going to hit a tree, right? And people do that. They're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'll do that. I don't know. know. I'll commit. I I have to look decisive. And that completely screws them up. Instead of saying, all right, I'm not sure. I I have a a client friend who, she just read the book because she got an early copy. And she is a very big business, like millions of dollars. And she's at this place where she's a little burnt. She's not sure if it's you know, running its course in this particular business model. And when she got the book, we were supposed to do an interview. It got postponed, but it was perfect because in the couple weeks of that postponement, she said, I went through your book and I have complete clarity now. And so the book takes you from embrace that fog. And she said, when she got to that chapter, like I say, it's okay not to know. And at the beginning of not knowing, right at that, not knowing that edge is the extraordinary And so like you're like, oh, I'm in a good place, right? And from there, I take the reader through six phases, if you will, and questions and prompts to help you think. I don't have the answers, though. And that's really the key. At the start of the book, I say, if you're looking for a formula, you won't find it here because you are the formula. Yeah. And the book helps you find your own formula.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to read your book.
1: I'm so excited too.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm so, I, so the reason I'm, I, I'm buying 10 is I, I don't have a, normally I have a company. I would just give them to my employees or to my leaders, but I am in a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm a chronic like CEO group person. So I'm in like four different CEO groups, but one of my groups here in Austin is a uh, cool group called Tiger 21. And there's oh. about 15 of, uh, 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 really high performers in that group. So I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring your book for them. So they, I
1: think I know Tiger 21. That's a big deal.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm I, in Tiger here in Austin. I love I, I just joined a couple months ago. That's it's, impressive.
1: It's, I don't know if people know what Tiger 21 is. Have you ever talked about that?
0: I have not. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. You're like, you know, everyone listening. That's like, you know, the astrophysicist of business like that is for hot dog business people who really, really have excelled. Like there's a high bar to get into that. So hats off.
0: Thank you. Uh, I do joke that I'm the ugliest house on the block, but um, oh, come on! <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it it's cool. It is it is a it's an interesting group. There's like YPO and EO, and I've been in uh, EO for almost two decades. But but Tiger is an interesting group. So I thought it when when. When, I, when you're talking about your book, it's an. It's, I actually think your book is really great for a lot of people. Like, I mean, it's for anybody, right? Everyone yeah. goes through the different phases, but I'll be bringing that group to my. T- your book. Thank you, me.
1: thank Sorry. you, thank you. We'll talk afterwards. And you know, I want to say who the book is also for because it's a good place to mention it. It is for like, if you have a niece or a nephew who's out of college and not sure what's next, if you have a friend who's going through a divorce or a health crisis or a career change, if you have a, a friend who's a CEO who's figuring out their next move for their company, if you have a friend who's an artist who's trying to sort out how to get through their novel, like Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, it's a good yeah. friend of mine. He's like, V, this is helping me. I'm I'm in the middle of a project. I don't know which way is north, south. This is helping me. So whether you're in business or the arts, whether you're a student or a senior, it's that time when you're not sure what's next. This book is gonna help.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm so, I'm so pumped for your book. So um, I wrote one other thing down and, and I know we're get, wrapping up towards the end of the show here. So we got a couple more minutes, but, um, you know, one of, the, I wrote this word down, the uncommon path, right. And, and, and what, what oh, I
1: finally do book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh, just had him on the show oh. uh, recently and, and, um, and I was on his show, but he, um, I, and I did the same thing. I bought 10 copies, 10 copies of his book. Wow. Uh, I always that. lost, uh, I, you know, I, I launched my book. It's, it's a, it, I'm going to say something. It's a pain in the ass to do a book launch. It's a lot of work. I spent probably 2,000 hours on my book launch. So yeah, I'm always it. about supporting the, the, the people when they, when they put out good work. So yeah. Well, I and
1: I want to jump in and say what you did by saying I'll buy 10 copies is exactly the nicest thing you can do for an author. Like oh, yeah. like, I bought a copy. And I'm like, that's great. And when someone goes, I bought ten. I'm like, that's amazing. So thank you.
0: No, seriously, no. It's I'm excited for to do it. But to your point, if you have a friend that writes a book, buy ten copies and yeah. hand out nine. Okay, yeah. like that's that's it's 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 a it's a great gesture that everyone should do for for any friend that writes a book.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, um, yeah, it's funny. Like that popped in my head. I started thinking about his book, but but and the way he got to where he got to and. And one of the things my coach says is that uh, action organizes and Mm. uh, people overthink the next step. So to your point, this idea of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, but I wrote Uncommon Path because I think there's a lot of celebration around like these public displays of winning, right? Mm. But the reality is when you start to look at, and I do this because I'm, I'm a learner, hardcore learner. So I'll go and look at how people got to where they got to. Right? And you look at the most celebrated names out there it, with the, you know, in business, it's it, it, non entrepreneurial business, like traditional corporate business, it's there is less of an uncommon path, it's more, more normalized. But when you start looking at entrepreneurism or the arts, and you look at the people that really are crushing it, it's normally like 20 different ways to from Sunday, like there's always these uncommon paths. So, w- what do you have to say from this idea of fi- like you when you said, I don't have the answer you are the answer. Is that it? Is it that you are, your natural talents and values and skills are going to merge together and form that's what's next? What is it in your mind that makes that happen?
1: Yeah, I, and that's exactly it. I, I have a chapter in the book I call The Prism Effect. And I, by the way, have to enunciate prism. Otherwise, people think jail, like prison, <laughs> like a prism, like light, like a, a <laughs> light colors. But, you know, we we have these sort of full spectrum pasts, our passions, what makes you particularly unique. I mean, think of you, you know, your background Persian and all this experience with mortgage. And, you know, now you're in Tiger 21 and, and you have this drive for learning. But what happens is we start cutting off parts of who we are. You know, you've got this creative flourish with the pink unicorns and 40% is art. Like that is a pretty killer package. Thank you. And there's a lot of same, same. And so what we want to do is like Take all of that, you know. I'm very physical, I'm a very physical performer. That's my thing. Uh, and I made a career embracing that, or these characters that I drew the book in the book. You know, this is a trademarked character that illustrates the book. And but people will tell you not to do those things. Like I had a, a business consultant who said, Don't put the characters in your book because your brand is the arts and, and performing arts and Broadway. And so, what do these characters have to do with performing arts and Broadway? And I thought, you know what? I'm putting them in because they're me. And people love these little characters. So this is it. It's about how do we harness all of who we are and let that lead the way.
0: Yeah, this is amazing. So we're, gonna, we're, we're running up towards the end of the show here. Um, where can people find you, the book, everything? Let's give them the download and we'll get wrapped up.
1: Awesome. Well, my name is hard to spell. So because of that, the easiest place to find me is riskforward.com. That's just the easiest place. It'll auto direct. You can find other places of my business from there. My, I have a brand called Rock The Room for those of you who know me or are interested in the performance skills, riskforward.com, rocktheroom.com.
0: Guys, you heard it here first. Victoria, my gosh, what an amazing show having you here, learning about you and the book and all the great things you've done. And guys, you would need to go out there, support the book, Risk Forward. Um, we have, we'll put everything in the show notes so you can check it out there as well. And everything, man, you just made my day. This has been so cool.
1: Likewise, likewise.
0: Thank you so much. Guys, uh, we got some more shows this week. We'll see you guys around. Peace. We love you from The Greatness Machine. We out of here. You are listening to The Greatness Machine and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. Uh-huh. She's my lover.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit.